Well, good morning to our Quakertown campus. It's great to be together as one church in two locations. My name's Jason, and I get to serve here at Calvary as one of our student pastors. It's always fun to be with you guys on Sunday mornings. And we've been in this series called Therefore Everyone, where we've been in the book of Romans. Actually, I didn't, I forgot about this last service, but my boss here, his name is Jeff Sup, And uh, we were talking about the passage I was, I was preaching on, and he's like, oh, I have a commentary just on those verses. So he gives it to Carlos, who gives it to me, and it was 1 Corinthians 12. I was like, Jeff, we've been in Romans for like 11 months. But uh, yeah, we're, we're continuing our Romans series, and uh, we're picking up in chapter 12 where we left off last week. Before we get into that, I want to kind of introduce our topic this morning by talking about divisiveness. And it's not a real fun topic necessarily, but unfortunately, our culture and our community is full of divisiveness. Kind of a silly example, but something that happened recently. Uh, I tend to tell, tell soccer stories up here um, because, listen, soccer needs representation on this stage. Everyone else hates it. If we want to breach the gospel to the world, people, okay, soccer is the way to go. Um, recently, there was this game between two of the best teams in England for a cup final, and they were, they were tied. They were going into penalty kicks, and the one team was subbing out their goalie, and a lot of times teams will do this before penalty kicks because their backup goalie might be better at penalty kicks. And I've been watching soccer my whole life. I've never seen this before. Maybe you saw this on ESPN or something. The goalie refused to leave the game. He just, she just flat out refused. The ref on the side puts up the, the number, the goalie's supposed to come out, and he starts waving his hands, yelling at the coach, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Coach just goes ballistic, loses his mind. They're like, what, I mean, what do you do? Like, do you walk on the field and drag a grown man off the field? Like, what do you do? So they didn't take him out. Like, they just, they just stay on the field, and they ended up going to penalties, and he didn't save any, and they lost. And it was kind of like, wow, all right. But the next day, the next day, the story wasn't as much about what had happened, even though it was kind of crazy. The story was that none of the other players on the field, like, went to go talk to the goalie and were like, okay, dude, like, you gotta, I mean, you gotta do this. Like, you got, you can't just refuse to, to go off. Like, none of the players came to the coach's defense. And so the, the, the narrative turned into like, wow, these guys must really hate this coach. Right? And so there's this, just this divisiveness in the locker room where I'm guessing it's gonna, there's not going to be players that are going to want to play for this coach. It's really going to hurt this team. But we see divisiveness everywhere. You turn on your phone, social media, you turn on the news, you look on the internet, and everywhere we look, it seems like people are divided. Maybe, maybe we might be a more divided culture now than at any point in human history. And I think part of the reason why is we live in this day and age where, where we really, disagreement tends to lead to personal attack where if, if someone disagrees with us, not only are they wrong, but they're, they're bad. And, and we've made this kind of distinction and it's kind of everywhere we look and it's okay to disagree, but the disagreements I think where we look have turned kind of personal. And I think a lot of us come to church for that very reason. I think some of us, we come to church because we need a break. We just need a break from that. We need a break from the divisiveness, we need a break from the anger, the hatred, the fighting, and we come to church hoping for messages of hope and comfort and peace. And unfortunately, sometimes we experience the same thing in the church. The church worldwide, nationwide, historically has not been known for its unity. Oftentimes the church is worse than what we see in the public. And, and Charles kind of mentioned this last week, talking about some of the reasons why churches have been divided. But over the centuries, churches have been divided, like literally church splits like down the middle. This church is mad at one thing and they're gonna leave and start their own thing. And this section here is gonna do their own thing about so issues like what's the right way to baptize somebody? 
do we, do we fully immerse in the water? Is it okay to sprinkle on the head? Like what's, people are like, no, that is wrong. That way of baptizing is wrong, we're leaving. What is the right way to take communion? Do we dip it in a cup? Do we pass it down? People have, have literally divided churches over these issues, right? What's the right or wrong way to sing? We, we heard last week about what is the right or wrong way to interpret certain passages of scripture, like churches have split over those things. And as I've learned about these things over the course of history, and I've seen them happen in our own community and throughout the world, I kind of ask myself, like, is that what God, is that what God intended for the church? Or the church wasn't a human idea. The church was God's idea. Is that what God had in mind for his church? This, this, this group of people that are easily divided, sometimes over a very, very small Issues, or did he have something else in mind? And that's the question that we're going to, to answer this morning. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And just as a quick aside, last time I preached on Romans was chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And uh, I had a bone to pick with Charles, and this is why. I'm in seminary right now. I just finished a class on Romans. I had to fly to Florida and I was, I was learning about Romans and I was all excited. It was after I preached, but I was all excited to learn more about Romans chapters, chapter seven, verse one through six. So we get to that point in class and my professor goes, um, Romans chapter seven, one through six, those are too complicated for us to talk about in class for the remaining time left, which was 45 minutes. So I emailed Charles. I'm like, hey, thanks for giving the hardest six verses in Romans to our most rookie preacher. Really great stuff. So, but today we're in Romans 12, three through eight. And we're on the back end of what we learned last week from the first two verses of Romans and where we've learned about transformation. In the first two verses, Paul, who's, who's writing the book of Romans to the church in Rome, is saying, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we're gonna talk about what is the result of that transformation? What is the result of an encounter with Jesus? What is the result of, of a life change when we experience Jesus, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So we're going to read Romans chapter 12, three through eight. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many... We, we, though many, form one body, and each body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So there's two major things that I think we see in these verses that we're going to talk about this morning. And the first is this concept of gifts, gifts. We see that word come up a lot in these passages and the gifts that these passages say directly are a result of the grace that's been given to us. And so the Bible in, in these verses and in other verses speaks of gifts that Christians, gifts as followers of Jesus receive as a result of becoming in a relationship with him. When we start a relationship with Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as a result of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have a spiritual gift. And Paul, what's interesting is he isn't in Rome when he's writing this, this, this letter. He's actually never been to Rome. And so the, the question is, how does Paul know 
the church and the Christians in Rome have spiritual gifts. I think that helps us see the universality to the gifts. Paul, he was in this city called Corinth when he's writing this. And he, he, there's this understanding that Christians anywhere that have a relationship with Jesus have a spiritual gift. And Paul gives examples, mercy, leadership, encouragement, serving, prophecy. And this isn't an exhaustive list. Like these are the only six or seven spiritual gifts that exist. There's potentially in, an infinite number, but he's just providing a framework for the conversation of gifts. And these gifts are different than what we would consider or know as kind of natural skills or abilities. Right? Christians aren't the only people in the world that are good at things, right? People are good at teaching. We have teachers in our schools. People are good at sports. They're artistic. They're good at leading their business. There's natural gifts or abilities that are not a result of the Holy Spirit. And those are different. This is talking about gifts that we have as a result of the Holy Spirit. And going back to last week, like I just said, this is a result of transformation. So if you read this sequentially and start in verse one and two and continue to go on, Paul's saying, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one of the results of transformation, one of the results of a real life encounter with Jesus is you will have a spiritual gift and you will use that spiritual gift. So if you know Jesus, you will have a gift and as a, a result of your transformation is using that gift. And Paul speaks of diversity in gifts. We all have different gifts and he uses this comparison of a human body. Just like our human bodies have, have multiple members, we have arms and we have legs and we have kidneys and hearts and brains. They all have different functions. They're all good at different things, but if you pull them in collectively, they serve one purpose for the sake of our body. Same way for the church. The church has many gifts, many members that do many things, but together we form one body. And Paul emphasizes humility. It's crucial. He says in verse three, Don't, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And so I think when we talk about spiritual gifts, there are two uh, there are two temptations that we could all face in regards to talking about this. The first is the temptation of comparison where we, we understand, okay, I'm a Christian. I have a spiritual gift, but we look at everyone else in the church and we're like, well, my gift isn't quite what that person's gift looks like, or I don't think I can make quite as big of a difference as that person, or I'm not impacting the church or the community as much as that person. And we, we tend to feel badly about ourselves because our gifts aren't as good as other people's, or we don't have a, the, what we would consider to be a more desirable gift. And it, it, we just feel self-conscious. And I struggle with this too. I, you know, as someone who teaches and preaches, you go on YouTube, you, you listen to podcasts. There's amazing preaching throughout the world. And every time I listen to them, I'm like, I'm never going to be that guy. The first time I preached here, uh, a couple, like a year and a half ago, I met with Charles on Wednesday of that week. And he was very great and very gracious. Um, I'll just say the outcome of that meeting was I rewrote my whole message. And his, my message was better because of it. He gave me really, really good feedback. But I left that meeting being like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to write a message. I'm never going to be as good as Charles. I'm never going to be as good as Carlos. I'm never going to be as good as all these other preachers. I didn't even ask to preach. Like, what the heck? I didn't want to do this. And I was like spiraling, like spiraling. I don't know if you've ever spiraled. It's a rough few days. And then I had to rewrite my whole message. So I've been there, right? Sometimes we compare ourselves and we end up feeling badly about ourselves. But the other, I think, the other temptation we face is this false pride. The opposite of that comparison trap of feeling like, hmm, I'm better than that guy and I'm better than her and 
I'm, I'm making more of an influence than him and I'm making a better impact than them. I'm, I'm, wow, God's really using me in big ways. Somehow also me. Struggle with both of those things. It's amazing that I'm up here, but <laughs> have you ever, I don't know if you felt that way. Like you felt this sense of like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty legit. God's using me, right? They're both temptations that we face. And that's why the body metaphor is so great. That's why the body metaphor that Paul uses is so great because your arms don't get jealous of your legs, right? They both serve very unique and different purposes, but they, they have unity, right? Like your kidney doesn't get jealous of your liver, right? Like your stomach, your stomach isn't like full of himself. Oh, okay. Thank you. Wow. I was nervous. I was nervous for that one. Thank you for laughing. My wife hates you for laughing at that. I emailed that to Justin Hange this week and I was like, is this gonna fall flat? I don't know. Um, but here's the thing, we need all of the parts of our body. We need the parts of our body for our body to kind of operate to its fullest potential. Same thing for the church. We need all of us with our collective gifts, our collective skills to come together, even though they're different, to form one church body. And the only reason that we have gifts, I love that Paul emphasizes this. He does it twice. The only reason that we have gifts is because of God's grace. We see this in verse three, when Paul starts verse three by saying, for the grace given me, I say to you. And we see this in verse six, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. You are gifted because God is gracious. Let me say it again. You are gifted because God is gracious. Paul even writes in verse three, the only reason Paul can write to, to the people in Rome, the only reason Paul has the opportunity to preach to crowds of people and see tons of people start a relationship with Jesus is not because Paul is amazing and awesome in, in and of himself, but it's because God was gracious to Paul. And the point of this is not just to list spiritual gifts, like here's a list, all right, have a great day. He's, he's, he's encouraging, he's imploring these people, use your gifts, use your gifts, use your gifts faithfully and diligently so that you can build the church in Rome. The, the building of the church in Rome is dependent on you using your gifts. Use them, please use them. He's imploring them, use your gifts. And there's a very specific reason as to why he's doing that. And the purpose that Paul is speaking of to the people in Rome for using their gifts is unity which is our second kind of main point we get from these verses. He's encouraging to, them to use their gifts for unity. This week I was kind of processing this with Carlos, this concept of unity, and he asked me if I've ever heard the song UNITY by Queen Latifah. I had not. <laughs> he was very disappointed in me because he knows I'm a big hip hop fan. And now he thinks I'm a fake hip hop fan, but you and I see why that's the name of the message. So thanks Queen Latifah. Um, but Jesus actually prays for this, this concept of unity. Jesus prays for it in the book of John chapter 17. John, one of Jesus's closest friends is writing a book about Jesus's life. And John 17 is near the end of Jesus's life where he's praying kind of his last prayers on earth before he's arrested and killed. And so these are kind of the last words of Jesus on earth before he's killed on a cross. And here's what he's praying for in these last moments. John chapter 17. I pray not for them alone. It's kind of cut off for me there. Hold on, let me find it. John 17. Let 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, or loved them, even as you have loved me. So we see unity in the body, unity in the church is close to the heart of Jesus. One of the last things he prays for on earth. And I think there's two types of unity that we can look at in regards to the church. We can look at universal unity. Christians around the whole world, no matter what local church they go to, this sense of global universal unity. There's also a sense of local church unity, like here at Calvary Church, how we're unified as a church. And I've read commentaries on these verses. It's unclear which of these types of unity Paul's talking about here. It could be either of them. They're both very important. For the sake of the rest of our time, Together, we're going to talk about that second type of unity. We're going to talk about unity in our local church context, and more specifically here at Calvary. In unity, what I think is interesting, it's not something that you just do. Right? I can't say to you, to, if you're married, I can't say to you as a wife or husband, go be unified with your spouse. Like you can't just go to dinner and be like, okay, we are let, unity on three. Okay, like that's not how it works. Right? Unity is the result of something. So unity in a marriage is the result of open and honest communication, uh, healthy practices, going on dates, praying for one another, healthy conflict resolution. The unity that you experience as a married couple is the result of, of the things that you do in your marriage. It's not just something you automatically have, right? The same goes for the church. Unity isn't something that we can just be. Unity here as a church will be the result of our conscious steps and our conscious efforts individually. And there's five things I think that are really going to help us learn how we can do that, how we can each individually take conscious steps forward so that we can achieve the best possible unity as a church. And the first thing is this, unity is not uniformity. This is important. Unity is not uniformity. And this passage speaks directly to that when it points to the human body, because our body parts are all different. There's unity in our body, but our, our body parts are, are all different. Same goes for the church. Unity does not mean we're all the same. It doesn't mean we look the same. It doesn't mean we act the same. It doesn't mean we even believe all the same things. We have, it doesn't mean all of our theological convictions are the same. It doesn't mean we have the same preferences. So it's okay that we come and we might disagree on things because disagreement's okay. We might disagree on the right way to sing songs. That's okay to disagree on that. We might disagree on the best possible way to invite friends to church. It's okay to disagree on that. We might disagree on what we think our kids or our students should be learning. It's okay to disagree on that. Disagreement by itself does not affect unity. How we disagree is what affects unity. You're never going to be in a relationship with someone that you agree with them on 100% of the possible issues. So unity does not mean uniformity. The second thing I think we need to learn this morning about unity is that unity means monogamy. Some of you are like, what? Unity means monogamy. Here's what I mean by that. If you're married, even if you're not married, you get one wife or one husband. We get one church. Choose one church. That's what I mean by monogamy. Unity in our church here at Calvary means faithful commitment to this church body. And some of you are not going to like this point of the sermon. I'm aware of this fact. 
Some of you are, are going to walk away not enjoying this part of the sermon. But, but this kind of part came from verse 5. I, was, I read this, this, these verses a lot this week. I just read them and read them and was praying for God just to reveal to me what he wanted me to, to show you this morning. And as I read these verses, read these verses, read these verses, I kept sticking at verse 5. Reese says, so in Christ, though many form, we, though, we though many form one body, and this is the part, and each member belongs to all the others. And each member belongs to all the others. So if you're in this room, you're, you're a Christ follower. As a part of Calvary Church, I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to each other. I think that's a powerful statement. So does it unite us as a church if we choose to attend in worship at two or three or four churches throughout the week? Millennials in the room, let me speak to you for one second. As a a, a fellow millennial, I love you millennials. (laughs) I'm grateful that you're here this morning or watching online. Millennials, we need to choose one church to be a part of. We love going to different churches, millennials. I know this fact, okay? Faithfully commit to one body because I don't think that if we attend numerous churches that we can belong to each other in the way that scripture speaks to. I don't think that we can love and support and carry each other's burdens and listen to each other and pray for each other in the way that God intends for us to if we're participating in a number of different churches throughout the week. I just don't think we can do that. And what we're doing by choosing multiple churches is we're saying, well, the church is really for me and I have opinions and wants and needs and desires and it's impossible for one church to meet all my criteria or check off all my church boxes. And so um, I'll go to this church on Wednesday because I like their preaching and I'll go to this church on Sunday because I like their music and I'll go to this church on Tuesday because I really like their men's group and I'll go to this church on Friday because I like their prayer group. And what we're saying is the things that people do for us is the most important part of our spiritual transformation. I think that causes division. So what if what we did was when we saw the gaps, what if when we saw the gaps in our system, the gaps in this body, we decided not to leave and seek what we're looking for in another church, but we instead decided to use our gifts to fill in those gaps which leads me to our next point. Unity means all who are in are all in. Unity means all who are in are all in. Unity means if you're a follower of Jesus at this church, you're all in. We need you to use your gifts. Paul is saying using your gifts will lead to unity. We need our church members. We need the members of our body to use their myriad of different gifts to, to achieve unity in the body. And I'm not saying sign up to volunteer. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying use your gifts. If you look at any sports team, a team sports, any team sport, if every single member of that team was trying to move the team forward except for one, that team will not reach their full potential. There's a drag effect to one person holding them back. Because, and here, here's what I think. If we don't actively unite, we passively divide. I think if we don't actively unite, we passively divide. If you're not actively uniting, it doesn't mean you're you're actively dividing. It doesn't mean you're trying to cause division. 
It doesn't mean you're starting arguments. It doesn't mean you're gossiping. But if you're not actively uniting, what that does is it passively divides. And I think division happens and culture erodes when a few of the people do all of the work. I think division in our church is the result of a few of the people doing all of the work, which means that we will never reach our fullest potential as a church, which means that our community, our local community will stay exactly the same. The people in our neighborhoods that don't know Jesus will continue to not know Jesus if all of us who are in this space are not all in. Unity means ministry over minister. Unity means ministry over minister. This is the ego killer of any pastor. Interestingly enough, Paul speaks directly to this issue. So the the author of Romans writes another letter, the very next book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth, and he's addressing specifically division in the church in the very first chapter. And this is what we read in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? So the cause of their division was that each member of the church was following a different church leader. And one of those people was Paul, the person writing. I'll be honest, that probably would have made me feel pretty good. Some people are following me, they like me. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Apollos, Cephas, great dudes. I like them. But your commitment is not to them. Your commitment is to Christ. Calvary Church has been, been operating for decades by the amazing leadership of awesome men and women. It was founded by amazing men and amazing women 70 plus years ago. It's been led by amazing men and women ever since. Calvary Church was not built on the name of our founding members who I love and honor and deeply respect. Calvary Church was founded on one name, the name of Jesus. So Charles, who's up here, um, he's amazing, he's amazing. Carlos, amazing. Our kids' ministry staff, the people that oversee our kids' ministry at Satterton in, in Quakertown, Dave Walters, Jen Stute, amazing. We have amazing staff, Matt Reed, Donna Jacobini, awesome, amazing people that work here. At some point in time, all of those people, including myself, will no longer work at Calvary Church. Unity means we are committed to the vision of Calvary Church of continuing what Jesus started in our local community and throughout the world, regardless of who is working here. I hope that you love the leaders of this church. I hope that you're praying for the leaders of this church, but your commitment is not to them. Your commitment is to Christ. Our last point on unity, our unity affects God's credibility. Our unity affects God's credibility. What does it say to the general public if the church is divided? If the division that they see in the church is exactly the same as the division they see everywhere else. Do you you wanna be a part of that community? The church should be the place where people can come for safety, for comfort. People don't need to come here for more people to fight with them and to be against them. People need to come to church to feel safe, to feel like people have their back, and so people are for them. That's not how the church is known right now. 
By, communi- by having division in the church, we're communicating something about God to the community. And Jesus even said, we looked in John 17, Jesus prays that only after the church is one, only after the people of God are united, will the world know who God is. Our message, our message of Jesus, our message of an empty tomb and a death on a cross is dependent on us being unified. The world will not hear our words until there's unity in the church. Our unity affects how the world sees God. So what do we do with this information? Because like I said, unity isn't something that just happens. Unity is the result of conscious steps towards unity. So how do we do that as a church that we can, just like our physical bodies as a church body, reach our highest potential in ministering to and loving the world in our local community? And I have an acronym for us that I think could be helpful as we remember these things as we go through another week that spells UNITE. And the first word is, uh, the first letter is U, understand grace. For us to be unified as a church, we need to understand grace. Unity starts with us. As Christians, knowing the only reason we are where we are is because there was a death on a cross and an empty tomb. The only reason any of us are where we are is because of grace. Unity starts with us knowing the only reason why we're gifted is because of God's grace. And I think when we have a better picture, a fuller understanding of God's grace in our lives, it helps us extend grace to other people. So you understand grace and know yourself. I am aware that no starts with a K. I needed a word that started with N for my acronym. Listen, I'm not a pastor because I'm good at spelling, okay? Know yourself. Contributing to unity means, as Paul says, seeing yourself with sober judgment. Not thinking more highly of, self, more highly of yourself than you ought to, not thinking more lowly of yourself than you ought to. One thing that's been helpful in my life is surrounding myself with the right people, surrounding myself with people who will absolutely knock me down a few pegs when I get a little too high and and bringing me up when I'm a little too low. For me, I have the the privilege of working here with someone closely named Jess Greaser. That is, she's that for me. She has zero problem knocking me down more than a few pegs when that's needed, but she's the first person to build me up to when she knows that I need that. So who are those people in your life who will speak truth to you when you're feeling a little too good about yourself, but will absolutely affirm and encourage you when you're feeling a little too low about yourself? So N is know yourself. I, invest in one local body. Choose one church to be all in. Does not have to be Calvary Church. I hope I don't get fired for saying that. I think we're a great church. We'd love it if you were a part of what we're doing. But invest. Invest in one, one, one church body. That doesn't mean attend. It means invest. So when you invest in one local body, that means you're actively praying for that church. Investing in one local body means you're serving in the context of that church. Investing in one local church body means you're inviting your friends to that church. Investing in one local body means you are invested financially in that local church. So for some of us, it means we need to start inviting. 
For some of us, it means we need to start praying for the ministries of Calvary. For some of us, it means we need to start giving some of our resources to Calvary. For some of us, it is time to start volunteering. That time is now for us. For some of us, we need to invest relationally. We need to spend some time getting to know people around here. So maybe it's time to start a men's or, or join a men or men's or women's Bible study. Maybe it's time if we have young kids to join jam and meet other women with young kids. Maybe it's time to join a home group. I don't, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you need to meet people in your section community. But we're investing, we're investing relationally as well. T is take a step. Start using your gift. And if you don't know like what the options are, read Romans 12, read the very next book, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Get an idea of what some spiritual gifts might be. Ask some of your friends what you're good at. Like, hey, what do you see me being good at? How can I use my gift in the church? Pray, ask God to, to reveal to you what your gifts are. Ask him to give you wisdom about how you can best use your gifts to serve in the local church. Take a step. And then E is embrace diversity. Celebrate the fact that we're all different. Celebrate the fact that we are full. You are sitting by people who are vastly different than you, have different stories than you, have different life experiences than you, have different opinions than you, have different gifts than you. Celebrate that. And the people in your life that are very different than you in this church and maybe you struggle with, pray for them. Pray for those people who are different than you. I am learning because of the amazing feedback from my friend Jess, to be thankful and praise God for the people in this church who are different than me and have different opinions than me and have different experiences than me and have different gifts than me. I'm not sure I have the gift of serving. My friend Samantha Ackley does. She's an 11th grade girl. That girl is a servant. I'm so thankful for people like her in this church. I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, I am sure that I don't have the gift of encouragement. I think that was my wife laughing. <laughs> but I think my friend Blake Clemmer has that gift. He's an, also an 11th grade guy. I think my friend Sarah Hange has that gift. I'm so thankful for people like that in our church that help us minister and love people in better and better ways. I'm not sure I have the gift of generosity. I know that there's people in this church that have that gift and I'm not gonna say their name because people that are overtly generous do not like the recognition for being generous. They're generous of, out of outpouring of their love for Jesus and they would hate me if I said their name on this stage, so I won't, but there are very generous people here that I'm very thankful for. All of those people and more, all of you sitting in these chairs right now, you make us a better church. Because by ourselves, we can't possibly reach our fullest potential. If this church was full of people exactly like me, this would be the world's worst church. I'm, I'm dead serious about that. I'm so thankful that we have different gifts and different abilities that can unite in one body to reach our community in the best ways possible. And here's the thing. I think some of us, we come here and we hear this message and you're like, you don't know my story. You don't know how the church has treated me. You don't know my history with the church. It's a miracle I'm even watching online. It's a miracle I'm even sitting in these seats, let alone contributing to unity. And I want you to know I hear that. I know the church has hurt a lot of people over the years. I don't have time to tell my full story 
today, but maybe another time. I, I want you to know I hear you. I'm with you. I have felt like the church has turned its back on me in the past. In some of the greatest seasons of need in my life. Times in my life where I needed the church the most seemed to be where my friends from the church turned their back on me the greatest. That hurts. And that's hard. But in those seasons of life where I felt most hurt by the church, I felt a whisper from God saying, don't give up on the church. And so if you've been there, if you've been hurt, I ask in you the same thing. Don't give up. Don't give up on the church. We're an amazing community, albeit made up of very broken people. We're not going to get it right all the time. Oftentimes we'll get it wrong. But as a community, we're prayerfully seeking how we can continue our mission of continuing what Jesus started in our community. So which of these things do you need to do this week? Do you need to understand grace a little more fully? Do you need to get to know yourself a little bit better and invite some feedback from people in your life? Is it time for you to start investing in one church? Praying, inviting, serving, giving. Is it time to take a step? Is it time to start using your gift? Or is it time to start embracing diversity? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing that this week as I seek to be actively uniting our church here. I wanna spend some time with people who are different than me. I wanna spend some time praying for people that are maybe a little difficult for me. I'm going to be embracing diversity this week. I'm in this with you. There's a pastor I like to listen to. His name's Andy Stanley. He has this sentence, unity is mission critical. Unity, our unity as a church is critical to our mission. And it's worth fighting for. In the first gospel of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, Jesus' friend Matthew was writing about his life. And um, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually casts the demon out of somebody. And the people are like, how are you able to do that? Is it by the power of demons that you can cast out demons? And this is how Jesus responds. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus is saying a demon can't cast out a demon because the kingdom of darkness is divided. Kingdoms that are divided fall. Houses that are divided fall. Churches that are divided fall. This place will not last with division. The future of our church, the success of our mission, success of our vision is directly tied to how unified we are because the world will not know Jesus, as he said, until we are one. So how will you contribute to our unity this week? as we seek to continue what Jesus started and so that everyone we interact with can know the good news of Jesus. Let me pray. God, thank you for this message of unity, that it's something you cared about. God, help us understand grace better this week. Help us know ourselves better. I pray that we may understand what our gifts are and have a desire to use that as we invest in a local church. God, we're grateful for who you are and that you desire to use us in the lives of other people. It's in your name we pray, amen.